You know, you know, the first Sunday of the year, it's always very crucial because it is the time where we, we set the pace right, we set the tone right uh, for the brand new year that all of us can really take on 2020 with faith, with courage, so that uh, come end of the year, we look back and we are truly pleased that we have done what has assigned us to do. I think in the last couple of years, uh, one of the uh, more memorable sermons that I've talked about on uh, first Sunday of the year was the one with the backpack where I teach everybody to travel light. That every year we got to learn to uh, change the backpack and get a new one. And I don't mean it literally. Uh, immediately someone say, oh yeah, it's time to buy a new bag. All right. But, but today, I also want to start the year right with all of us. And I want to talk about this thing that I think uh, it's crucial because uh, it is so needful in our world today. We, we're living in a, in a real-time, fast-paced world. Real-time means whatever you want, you get it immediately. I, I remember when, when I was younger, uh, one of the highlights on watching TV in a year uh, was actually uh, the FA Cup finals in England. Uh, because those days, it was so primitive. So you only get one live football match a year. And the TV was black and white. So it was usually Liverpool versus Everton. Uh, you really have to know the team. Because otherwise, you don't know who is passing the ball to who. Because one is a lighter shade, one is a darker shade. And, 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 but we only get it once a year. These days, you watch live football, six, seven matches over a weekend, and then some in the midweek. I, I wonder those days, not my time, but those older than me, I wonder how people watch live snooker competition. Oh gosh, it didn't work. It was supposed to be funny. And, and so, so real time, uh, Cantonese movies, when I was growing up, this is like 30 years ago, you watch the first part of the Cantonese movie on a Wednesday night. You watch the second part of that Cantonese movie the next Wednesday. How many of you remember that? Six people. The rest of us, we're all still young. And, and, and it's, it's funny because the following week, uh, you've probably forgotten what the movie was all about because it was a week ago. I remember I had to run home from my tuition to make sure I catch the second part. Because we live in a fast-paced world today, waiting has become something that is very hard to develop. Waiting becomes so difficult. Waiting for the video to load is so difficult. It's so hard. You know, you, you, you try to watch a one-minute video, but because loading time was five seconds, you skip the video. Waiting for an answer is hard. Waiting for Instagram to supposedly self-refresh is hard because it doesn't seem to be refreshing. Waiting at the traffic light is hard. But contrary to every grain of our human soul, waiting is good and even crucial to the growth and the stability of our lives. Waiting or patience builds resilience. Waiting or patience allows the heart to grow. Well, it seemingly feels like when the world spins fast, we grow faster. Deep down on the inside, your heart needs to slow down in order for it to grow. Waiting or patience allows the structure in our lives to be built up. The structures in our lives to be built up. So in 2020, as we start this year, what kind of a life are we building? What kind of a life do you really want this year? I don't want us to live one year and then just keep repeating ourselves again and again and again and again. I don't want to just do better. I don't want to just do something different. I want to do something new. What kind of a life are we building? Basically, there are two kinds of life that I want to share with you today. The first kind of life is an ad hoc firefighting problem-solving life. That means this life, I'm only living this life by reaction, by solving the problems that comes my way. So if I have a problem at home, I encounter difficulty, 
I encounter a difficult issue, I will deal with it, I'll, I'll solve it. And when there's no problem, I chill. When there's no problem, I just flow through with everything. And I want things to be happy, go lucky, because I don't want to be bogged down by a difficult life, a demanding life. Friends, I want you to know, nothing worthwhile in life is ever achieved without demand. You cannot try or imagine that you'll get somewhere if you're not willing to pay the price. You need to understand that good things in life ought to be demanded. All people say, but, but you know what, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm a happy-go-lucky kind of a person. I just want to be jolly, happy, whole year round. But you know what? After some years, you will look back and you'll think that, hey, something wrong with my life. I've been so happy-go-lucky all the time. But when I look back, it doesn't seem like I've built anything over the years. Do you want to live an ad hoc, troubleshooting, problem-solving life all the time? Or the second option is to construct an intentional core focus and structure-building kind of a life. It is intentional, it is core-focused, and it is structure-building. That means you are building your life towards something. You are intentionally doing something. This morning in our huddle, Pastor George, we hardly call him Pastor George, we call him Badji, said that one of the most important things, that if you want your life to change, is to have the correct intention. And so, very often, if you look at our lives, or you look at people around us, that people run to God when they run into troubles. People run to God when they run into troubles. Oh, so they are going through a difficult time. Immediately, they run to God, they go to church, they pray a bit longer, they give a good offering, because believing that if I give a good amount of offering, the Lord will do something. Go to the pastor for counseling. Go for some people to lay hands on me and pray for me. Well, what are they trying to achieve? I am not saying that you cannot respond that way, but this is a quick fix. We like things to be fixed quick in our lives because we are not prepared to wait any longer. Are you all with me? So we want a quick fix. I want you to know, if the anointing of God means that you can do shortcuts in your life, I'd rather you have no anointing. Are you guys with me? Because it is not supposed, oh, I have a trouble. Pastor Keith, pray for me. Bam, problem disappeared. Hallelujah. I love this church. I love this God. He is amazing. But this is not the kind of life we should live. When it works, it's great then they will go back to their life before all this happened. But if it doesn't work, then we struggle. We think that this God is not reliable. We think that this God is not the God that He promised to be because whatever I ask of Him doesn't seem to be working. But little do we know sometimes that the problems in our lives are caused by our wayward living. The problems in our lives are caused by us not living a life based on a structure. 2020, everybody say 2020. 2020. In the first week of the year, or the first week of the decade, if you like, I want you to start right, and I want to set the record straight that an ad hoc troubleshooting, problem solving kind of a life is not worth living. We have to build something. Don't be just a firefighter. I mean, I'm not talking about the literal firefighter. Don't be a firefighter. Be a developer. Develop something. Build something in your life. Turn to the neighbor and say, build something. Okay, you're not turning to the other side of the neighbor now. Build something. Are you guys with me? So I want to show you because like I said at the beginning of every year, I want to give you a very uh, memorable and uh, uh, illustration of what I want to talk about today. I want to, because you know what, growing up, I always have this struggle. Why, why, why study physics when you cannot apply them in life? And uh, I finally found something that I think it's quite applicable to life. And because I'm not very good at physics, I actually gave my physics teacher in high school a call and say, hey, Chigu, 
bantu lah, bantu sikit Like I want to do this And he said He's going to watch me live I think he's watching me right now I hope I don't fail you teacher uh, All your years of hard work And dedication And commitment in teaching So I have decided to show you This physics theory Of how 2020 Is going to work better for you In order to do that I'm not going to explain it Watch this video Imagine you've got a tennis ball attached to a piece of string, and you start swinging it in circles. Whoa now, watch out for your buddy! Let's take a closer look at the fascinating physics of this simple action. You've probably heard of Newton's second law of motion as it relates to objects moving in a straight line. Turns out, Newton's second law also tells us about the net force on an object as it moves in a circle. When an object moves in a circle, its velocity changes direction. Since the velocity is changing, that means we have an acceleration. And we know from Newton's second law that if we have an acceleration, we have a net force. Now back to our spinning ball. For objects undergoing circular motion, the net force on the object is called the centripetal force. It's a weird sounding word, but it's Latin for the phrase center seeking. It's named centripetal because the centripetal force always points to the center of the circle. The ball has a tangential velocity, so if you suddenly cut the string, it would fly off in whatever the tangential direction was at the moment you made the cut. But assuming you don't cut the string and you keep swinging the ball, the ball's tangential velocity is constantly changing directions. This means the ball is accelerating, and the reason it's accelerating is due to the centripetal force. The centripetal force acting on the ball is constantly directing the ball towards the center of the circle, your hand. This, combined with the ball's velocity, keeps the ball swinging in a circle. The same centripetal force that keeps the tennis ball swinging in a circle also keeps roller coasters on the track as they go through a loop-de-loop. -loop. So the next time you're having a blast on a roller coaster, you can thank the centripetal force. Okay, give the video a big hand, not me. So, I got my tennis ball. And I tried to illustrate this to you. Yesterday at Bangsa, it was quite okay, but failed a bit. But in the Saturday service, it was a total failure. So let me just do this one more time. You know, in that theory or physics formula that you heard and seen just now, it basically, the thing that keeps the ball turning in the orbit of this circle, it's because of the centripetal force that is centered to the center of whatever that is turning this. I want to tell you this year that the tennis ball is your life. It says that because there's acceleration, because the ball keeps turning in the orbit, it is always focused at the center. If your life is the tennis ball, then the hand that is turning this tennis ball right now, it's God. Are you with me? And so the string that is attached to the hand or the string that is attached to God is actually the structure of how we build our relationship with God. But very often in a world that we live in, people just want to make sure that their life just keeps going for a while. And the moment that it seems to be on track, it seems to be going in motion, that their life seems to be turning in this orbit that I call the will of God, so now, oh, it's great now. Hey, things are working. I prayed, I came to church, I gave an offering, I served God, I've been going to mission trip. Now my life is smooth sailing. You know what? I'm not coming to church regularly anymore because it is too demanding, it is too difficult, it's too boring, it's too high commitment. I cannot come back again and again. It is too difficult. So I now don't need God anymore. I cut off that relationship. I cut off that very structure that actually keeps my life going. And very often, thanks bro, this one came to service yesterday. And, uh, and so we think that our lives will actually accelerate even greater if we seek things that are outside of whatever that is happening in our lives. Whoopsie. All right. Second ball. See, I'm a tennis player. I got a second ball. All right. And a lot of times, we all, oh, you know what? I want my lives to do even bigger things. I want to achieve even more. So I want to go out of whatever that I'm doing right now so that my life will seem to be even more fruitful than ever before. We go out of this orbit. 
but we failed to realize that in order for your life to keep in motion, to be on track at all times, it's not going out, but always center seeking, always seeking the center, which is God Himself. You know what, friends? The center is God. You know what, friends? The tennis ball represents our lives. The string that is tied to the center is how we build the structure of our relationship with God. We want our lives to be on track. We want our lives to be moving. We want our lives to remain in the orbit of the will of God. And so this is how we construct an intentional, center-seeking, structure-building kind of a life. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, on the screen right now, it says that, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says that I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. It's not me. But Christ is the one who lives in me. Christ is at the center of my life. Christ is the center of all that I think. Christ is the center of all that I am and all that I do. The first value of our church is what? The first value of our church is God-centeredness. Christ at the core. Go to the big guy. So we, we have spent many hours, many meetings, many discussions to come up with this, to say that God-centeredness is where Christ is at the core. So we keep going to the big guy. The big guy is not out there. The big guy is supposed to be at the center of your life. You know what, church? I am not too agreeable. In fact, I totally don't agree with the concept that God's first. Have you heard this before? You know what? This year, put God first. God first. I, I, I don't agree with God first. You know why? If God's first, potentially at some point, God can be second. That if I put God first, one day, God will be relegated. Have you heard? People say, family first. You know what? 2020, I want family first. Immediately, we have trouble. So now what? God first or family first? How can then two be in the same place? Because one will have to be relegated. So you know what? Oh, I have a family now. God, you got to understand. You know, church, you got to understand. I got a family. I got to put my family first. Well, God is no longer first. And then you're married. You got kids. Your state starts to grow up. Have you heard? Parents say to their kids, son, studies first. After a while, hey, God was supposed to be first. Now, it is family. After family, it is studies. And then, you will hear people say, Pastor, when I earn enough money, I will give my life and serve Jesus. So basically, they're trying to tell me in a nice way, money first. So if we continue to have things in our lives, that our, in, our commitment in life keeps increasing, something will continually be relegated and then God will nowhere to be found. Perhaps a chronological order of things in life is not the way forward, but rather a positional order of things. So it is not supposed to be stacked one, two, three, four, but it is to be stacked in such a way positionally, Christ is always at the core that Christ is always at the center of all that we are and all that we do. So that all that we think, all that we dream of, all that we aspire to do, all that we say, aspire and comes and releases out from the core, releases out from the core that is Christ himself. When, when the Bible says, for out of the heart, flows the issues of life, springs forth the issues of life, I want you to know that the best translation for that verse is actually found in the Indonesian Bible because it says, from out of the heart, terpancarlah kehidupan. It is to terpancar, you know, 
anyone don't understand terpancar it's too project radiate so everything that we do is not in terms of chronological order but it came from the core which is Christ himself there are five things that in our church that we want to focus on every year for every one of us there are five areas of our lives number one is faith number two is family number three finances number four is fitness and number five is future how do we build a structure where Christ is at the core of these five areas of our lives how do we build a God-centered structure at our core with these five areas because they are going to be competing with one another. The first thing, we want to talk about faith. Right at the core of faith is that all of us have to understand that faith has its foundation in the Word of God. Faith is not built on your emotion. Faith is not built on how you feel. Faith is not like, oh, I feel good today, I think God loves me. I don't feel good tomorrow. I think God doesn't love me. No, your faith is not determined by your emotion. When the children of Israel, when the Jewish people were trying to figure out what is this new gospel was all about when they were struggling, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith develops. Your salvation comes to pass, becomes a reality when you begin to hear the Word of God. So it is, your faith is not grown by listening to a song or you saw something. No, maybe there was a good feeling, but that is not faith. If our faith is not founded in the Word of God, I fear that sometimes the way Christians apply faith in their lives has got no difference with superstition. Yeah. I struggle. Church, I struggle. I grew up in a family. I grew up in a background where people around me are very superstitious. Oh, they're very concerned. Chinese New Year is coming. When you sweep the floor, don't sweep the dust out. Sweep it back in because you're sweeping the good luck out of the house. I grew up in an environment like that. Oh, you cannot cut your fingernails on a Friday night because you will see ghosts. I don't know why Friday night, but, you know, I don't know why, but I, it is the cheapest way to watch a ghost movie. Cut your fingernail on Friday night, you get life. But I grew up in an environment like that. I grew up, oh, you cannot do this, you cannot do that. But I don't understand because there's no meaning to all that. And then I encountered Jesus. When I encountered God, I was set free from all this superstition. You know what? Many years later, in the Christian world, I realized that we are now being sucked into a Christian superstition. That we believe all kinds of things. That if things are not working well because the devil is in the church. Friends, the devil is not God's brother. He's not everywhere. Oh, it's evil spirit under the speaker. So we get into all this. I, after a while, I struggle. I struggle because there's now, I, I received Jesus. I'm supposed to be set free. I'm supposed to be liberated. I've heard, oh, pastor, I, I, I never seen a church. The walls are black color. How can your church wall be black color? You think God is pleased? Because I think anointing will not be here. You know what? Which part of the Bible says God doesn't like black color? Are you with me? So shall I paint our church red so that it's more on and it's Chinese New Year coming? Our Christian faith is so diluted by all this kind of wrong thinking and wrong teaching. Why? Because there's a lack of understanding in the Word of God. There's a lack of understanding in the Word of God because our faith is not built on learning and studying the Word of God but built on emotion and how we feel. How about ministry? Is your ministry Christ-centered? Is your ministry Christ-focused? Are you, oh, I, I'm not doing well this season. I better go and serve God. I think I, my, my business is failing because I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm not, not serving God enough. That's why God is punishing me. Please. You have got your faith totally wrong. 
How about our character and our attitude that reflects faith that it's God in the center of our lives? Secondly, it is not God first. It is not family first. But Christ at the core of our family. What does it mean to have Christ at the core of our family? What does it mean to be a Christian, to be in relationship? What does it mean for a Christian to be in courtship? What does it mean for a Christian to be in a marriage? Is Christ at the core of your relationship? Is Christ at the core of your marriage, in your decision-making, in the plans that you make for your family? When does God come into the picture? When all else fail, and I don't know what else to do, now, okay, you know what? I think we didn't seek God. We better seek God now because God is upset with us. So we begin to pray. No, prayer is not your last resort. It is your first step. Are you, are you with me tonight? Right? And, and I can tell you, if you go out there, there are all kind of values. Oh, you want to be in a relationship. You want to make sure that this relationship is sealed and you guys are together. You better sleep with him. Because if you don't give it to him, he will not want you. That is not a Christ-centered relationship. Are you with me? You are not building the right structures in your life. Without proper structure, when there's trouble and when there's challenge, your life will collapse because there was no structure in the first place. Or seemingly, there is a structure, but it has no strong foundation. Do we establish our children a God-fearing and God-honoring lifestyle. What kind of a life do we show our children? Are we praying? Are we God-seeking? Are we God-fearing? Go with me right now to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 and verse 4. You know, we like the first part of this verse if we are parents because it says, children! So yesterday when I was speaking at Bangsa, my son was there, so I spoke this really loud. Children! Obey your parents in the Lord. I know your mom and dad are nudging you now. For this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So we tell our children, obey me, because if you obey me, you live long, you live well, you have a prosperous life, and the Lord will bless you. But then we highlight this part. We missed out the second part. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not cause your child to be in anger. And so, in our raising our family, we got to learn what does it mean to teach our children a God-fearing, God-loving, God-honoring lifestyle. How do you teach your children about prayer life? about studying the Word of God, about being an example. I want to tell you, I am a regular dad like everybody, even though I'm the pastor. Every Sunday morning, my wife and I, sometimes we feel so bad because it seems like we are not so Christian anymore because my first son will always, just before we leave the house, he will pack his stuff, and faster, faster, pastor, it is pastor need to go to church early. My Zen Zen will take off shoes. Hey, we are already at the door, son. I don't want to go to church. Ah! You have no choice because I'm working. So we have to drag him into the car and uh, scold him, say, stop it. Go to church now and you better behave. Otherwise, everybody will look at us like, you're not a God-honoring child. Take out the rota. And then when I come to church, hey, hi guys, good morning. Are you guys ready for huddle? Wow. It's beautiful, Pastor Gave. Good morning. Sometimes people see me so stressed out. They think I'm angry at them. No, I just have a battle with my son. But I have to make sure that I prep my children to go to church, to tell them about the importance of honoring God the first thing on a Sunday morning, the first thing in the week. I am not going, if I'm going to wait for Zen Zen to wake up before I come to church, I'll turn up at church at 12. Are you all with me? Then how about money? Is Christ at the core of our finances? Is Christ at the core of our work? You know what, church? It is not our relationship with money that shapes our spirituality. 
but our relationship with God that shapes our finances. So often we hear, oh God, if you will bless me, I will serve you more. God, if you bless me, I will give to your house. God, if you bless me, then I will do this for you. It is not our relationship with money that shapes our spirituality. Are you guys with me? How, how about work? You know what? I, I love God to bless us. How many of you love God to bless you? You better raise your hand, okay? It's 2020. If you don't raise your hand, God sees that you didn't raise your hand. You don't get blessed. Don't say, I never give you a chance. One more time. How do you want to be blessed in 2020? I, see? See? Have to threaten and only raise hand. What is this? So, we want to be blessed. But you know what? Sometimes this desire to be blessed, this favor thing, has after a while become such a bad word in my life. Everything is about favor. Oh God, if I found favor in your side this year, I'll be promoted. But favor is not the absence of a Christ-centered value in your life as a worker in a marketplace. What happened to commitment? What happened to faithfulness? What happened to being punctual? Hello? What happened to being a Christian? You know what? Because we started out as a youth church with young people, we hear things like, uh, Pastor, my boss make me work overtime on a weekend, one weekend, two weekends, three weekends. After the fourth weekend, they backslide. Because my company make me work, so now I don't want to go to church anymore. Like, what? It's in your head. What did you smoke last night? Uh, sorry, what, what did you eat last night? Are you with me? And, and oh yeah, so I, I, yeah, I don't like this company because my boss is like that. But we, as the church grow older, we now have business owners in the church where people that own companies. Now I hear the other side of the story. Pastor, you know what? I really love God. I want to be a blessing. I employed a lot of people from collective. I got worship leaders. I got, I got, I got team leaders. I got all these people who uh, go to church. I employ them. But you know what? The day I want to pitch for a project, one of them said, I cannot stay late because I got to lead some group. And then the other day, I want to get ready for presentation. This other guy said, oh, I cannot come because Saturday morning, I got worship team practice. And then after that, another guy said, oh, yeah, I cannot because I got to lead prayer meeting. After a while, my project is failed because no one turned up for work. And they're all Christians. And they're all from collective. <laughs> the business owner is our member. The staff is also our member. But Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, Slaves, obey your masters as unto the Lord. Paul did not abolish slavery, but change the value that when you do that, you do it unto the Lord. After a while, people just use church as an excuse. Oh, I got to go to church, but in church, I don't see them. But they say, oh, I'm busy trying to serve God. What happened to excellence at work? Are you with me this morning? Yeah. What is our structure in life when it comes to money? In First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 14, after King David saved up all his money and all his treasures to give to the building of the house of God, he said this, but who am I and who are my people? that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. I grew up in an Anglican church, and that was how we were uh, trained and discipled when I was growing up. Every Sunday without fail, at the end of the offering, we will all have to repeat this line, all things come from you, and of your own do we give you. How many of you, you attended Anglican Church for many years before? Are you with me? And, and so I didn't know it was from the Bible. So there's one day when I read the Bible, wow, this is a Bible verse. So it was ingrained into my head that all things comes from God and it is out of God's belonging that I'm giving something back to Him. So I realized from a very young age, due to repetition and many years of reciting it, that I actually don't own anything. Everything belongs to God. 
But this is a head knowledge. This is a Bible verse. But there was a structure that was built in my life. 20 years ago, I was a youth exchange missions program for my church. So I was sent to the UK and uh, to do missions work to help out with the youth ministry in England. So I was all by myself. And all I got every month was 140 pounds. And I tell you that 140 pounds was very important. I have a little logbook that I jot down. So I try not to spend so much money on my food. So I will go to Tesco. 20 years ago in Tesco, one whole loaf of bread was only 20p. So I will, I will, I will just buy 20p Tesco bread. And then there was a season, that time when I was there, there was a mad cow disease. Wow, the beef has gone so cheap. So like everyone was so scared. Then poor missionary ma, how? So go and buy those beef. And I said, Lord, bless this beef. It is so cheap. Hallelujah. And you know, that was how I survived. Why was I not spending my money? Because I was young and I was dangerous. I wanted to go to backpack in Europe by myself. So I was hoarding this hundred and 40 pounds and don't I, I, own, I, I tell you what I only buy newspaper on Sunday because Sunday has got the biggest stash if you, if you live in England before oh my god they've got one whole booklet on gardening and on whatever lah. I don't care as long as it's value for my so thick so one day I go and read the Bible if you're not prepared to be changed by God don't read the Bible okay so I went to read the Bible and I don't know why it was about tithing so the tithe belonged to the Lord. I read it. I kind of like brush it aside and you know what? Never mind. But the thought kept coming back. The tithe belongs to the Lord. By now, it's already six, seven months. I'm already in the UK and I haven't been giving my tithe to God. I said, God, you don't so bad. Lah. Poor missionary money, you also want me. Then I begin to have a lot of excuses. You know what, God? I could have earned a lot more money, you know, if I go somewhere else and do something else. I'm already earning so little because I'm trying to serve you. Can, can, we, can we trade that? Since I give you my time, you don't take my money. Is that okay or not? So I was trying to negotiate with God, but the end of the story was I gave in. I said, God, I surrender. This is yours. So I calculated it was almost 100 pounds that I have to give to God. And I tell you, it was so painful to put my 20 quid, 20 quid, 20 quid, 20 quid, and I put it onto the offering plate. I'd say, Lord, take it, take It's yours. That afternoon, I came back from church. A pastor called me from the north of England. I, I do not know. He said, hey, are you Kevin? I said, yes. Who are you? Oh, I'm so-so's friend, and I know so-and-so from Sabah. I heard that you're in the UK. Uh, I was in church this morning. The Lord told me, to bless you with a holiday. I'm going to send you a hundred pounds to your, those days can still send money on the post. post. I'm going to send you a hundred pounds, come to our place, buy the bus ticket, enjoy a weekend with us. It wasn't about the blessing. Are you with me? It is about the reality of God. You know what, hundred pounds, what can it do? It won't change your life. But I began to realize that this God is real. So when I first came to KL, before we started this church, I was in another church. And in those days, same like every day, I like phones. Who, who like phones? One, two, three, raise your hand. You don't raise your hand if you don't get a phone. Uh, okay, then I don't go there anymore, all right? So I, 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 I save up some money and I bought this really expensive phone, uh, 8210. How many of you heard of this number before? It's not lottery, okay, please. All right? And it was a Nokia with... The first phone that could change casing. Wow, I got mad and everything. So it was a time to give to the church, but I bought a phone. You know, the night before I preached, I, was, I just kept reminded of, you know, like I've spent the money wrongly. So I told the church, you know what? The Lord rebuilt me. I am going to sell this phone away because I really think I shouldn't own it. The money that I get from this phone, I will sow it back to the church if you would like to buy my phone, after church, come and see me. It is a one-order call. You don't want anybody to respond. You understand? And a don't come. So I waited, waited, waited. Service over. I quickly go home so that nobody can find me. I went home. Oh, safe. I still have my phone. See, God, I've done it, but nobody want to buy it. Not my fault. I went home. And then 
few minutes later, somebody came knocking at the door of my flat. I was staying at Subangville. Talk, 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 talk. I said, oh, who is that? I opened the door. It was this lady in church. Oh, how come you're here? Oh, the Lord told us to buy your phone. I said, your God and my God, the same God or not? What is this? Yeah, the Lord says to us to buy your phone at 1,000 ringgit. My heart ache. It's a non-colored, only got snake game phone. I also heartbroken. So I, wait a minute, I went to my room, took out my Nokia box, put the phone back. I still got that foam, plastic foam thing. And with a heavy heart, almost like a sinner coming back to God, I gave her the box. Then she, Pastor, nah, this is 1,000 ringgit for your phone. And then I said, thanks, but no thanks. Bye, don't come to my house ever again. In my heart, in my heart, in my heart. I never said. And then she turned around. She said, oh, by the way, Pastor, God told us one more thing, that after we pay you, we are supposed to give that phone back to you. It, it wasn't the phone. Are you guys with me? When you're blessed by God, it is not the blessing. It is the reality of God that I experience. And so from then on in my life, I have given cars, I have given my salary, I have given years. When, when I first have eaten, my son today is the first day graduated from Children's Church. There are a few of them. They are in service. Come on. Oh, yeah. He is like, kill me now, Dad. Stop talking about me. So when we just first had him, the Lord spoke to me to give away my salary to church because we wanted to buy this place. You know what? I'm not bragging about how much I can give. It just came to a point in my life that money does not define me anymore. There's no barrier when it comes to money in my life. As believers, we need Christ-centered foundation in how we deal with money. Don't run to God. Don't give your offering. Don't pay your tithes or whatever it is only when you are in trouble. But learn to build our finances according to biblical principles. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Are you guys still okay? I'm wrapping up, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to verse 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? The Bible says it is not your spirit, but your bodies, your body. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own, not just your money. You do not own yourself because you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That means honor God with who you are, with this body that God has given to you. The word honor means to give weightage, to give importance to your body. And so the fourth area of our lives that we have to build a structure where Christ is centered is that you've got to look after your fitness. Make sure whether it is in exercising, in eating, and in sleeping, do it in moderation. Everybody say moderation. Do it in moderation. If you're going to the gym because it's January, don't go to gym eight times a week. Sunday you go twice because you're so on fire. If you are trying to eat healthy, don't immediately. You apply keto diet and vegan diet and then intermittent fasting because you know what? By the third week, I will not see you anymore. And when it comes to sleeping, if you're a gamer, you're youth, you cannot sleep at night. Go learn and learn to sleep early. Sleeping early for some people, it's 2 a.m. It's okay, it's a good start. For some people, it's 10 p.m., right? Don't, if you have been sleeping 12 midnight, 1 a.m. in the morning, don't suddenly go and sleep at 7.30 because it will not last. The last value of our church is sustainability. Pursue health. Design today to drive tomorrow. What does it mean by pursuing health? Pursue consistency. Pursue a healthy pattern 
in life. So if but G this morning told us, before you sign up for gym membership, learn to wake up early. Man, it was a sermon by itself. After a while, I thought maybe he should preach. Lah. Wake up first. Learn to walk in the morning before you sign up to a gym. Because by March, nobody goes to the gym anymore. You know, in the beginning of the year, Lake Gardens always fill with cars because everybody is training for something. You know what? At the end of the day, it's not January that matters. It is December that counts. Are you guys with me? So, in your fitness, whether it is physical, whether it is emotional, or whether it is mental, make sure that you do things that are sustainable. Lastly, I want to talk about how to have a Christ-centered future. Remember, in order for the ball, in order for your life to keep orbiting in the will of God, the net force, the centripetal force, the center-seeking force, it always goes back to the core, and that core is Christ. I want to end by Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. This is a very simple verse, clear verse, but it's a very confusing verse to a lot of people. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. So, this word trust is an ingredient for the future. Trust in the Lord. You, you, you are known. You don't know what 2020 is going to be. The forecast seems bad. doesn't seem very positive. But the Bible says, trust in the Lord. It is a way that you learn and say, you know what? 2020, I may not know everything, but because I've got in my life, I'm secure. I'm trusting God, even though I don't have all the answers. I know God is with me and God is for me. It's learning to be in step with God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then the second part is, lean not on your own understanding. Now this is the tough part. What does it mean to not lean on your own understanding? You have gone to school, you have gone to work, you have many years of life experiences. How, how do I not lean on my own understanding? I'm supposed to have wisdom. I'm supposed to be able to make decisions. You know what, many years ago, some youth asked me, Pastor, how long did you take to pray before you marry Esther? I said, you know what, I didn't pray. She was the most beautiful girl in town. How hard does it get? Marry her, sort out the rest later. Oh, but, but isn't that not very spiritual? You didn't get a sign from God. You didn't wait for God to show you something in the heavens. Lean not on your own understanding does not mean that. Lean not on your own understanding only when you need to cross-check with the Word of God with other people if what you're thinking is right or wrong. If it's right, do it. You will keep orbiting in the will of God if you are always Christ-centered. Esther was a godly woman. Parents go to church. She was my pianist in the worship team and I was the worship leader. Man, this is a match made in heaven. What else need to pray? We better pray more after we're married. Are you guys with me? I see people. Pastor, I broke up. What happened? My boyfriend, my girlfriend went to study overseas. Really? How long already? Two months? Huh? Two months? If you break up with somebody because they're away for two months, you have to go back and ask your question, what is the foundation of your relationship? Is it built on the core of Christ? Are you with me? Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. If you enter into the relationship to receive something, I want you to know you'll be disappointed every day. But if I enter the relationship because I want to give, then both parties will be blessed every day. That is what it means by building a structure where Christ is at the core in your life. Are you with me? And then after that, it says, in all your ways, submit to Him. In all your ways, acknowledge God. This is not, wow, Juan, you can play guitar so well. And then Christian will do It's like, 
in all your ways acknowledge him doesn't mean no 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 pastor it wasn't me I mean this guy can sing agree this guy can write songs but he people say wow you can write songs so well. oh not me Jesus but you let worship so not me Jesus the last I saw Jesus was not standing there it was Juan all those sounds like Jesus Juan Jesus sorry bro happy new year To acknowledge God means we surrender. It's a posture of humility where I admit that all that I have comes from God. And that's how I acknowledge Him in all that I do. Finally, with this, I close. And then He will make your path straight. It is the desire of God that your path straight. It's the desire of God that you travel well. God is not a God that will make a highway for you and then suddenly put a speed bump so that you trip and fall. God is not a God that will build a highway and suddenly dig a hole in the middle of nowhere so that your car will crash into the hole and your life will spin off track and be destroyed. We don't, we don't serve and we don't love an angry, killjoy God. It is God's desire to make your path straight. But to travel in that path, you've got to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Remember, when your understanding is carnal, you've got to check, cross-check with the Word of God. And number three, in all your ways, you acknowledge Him. Then, the Bible says, the path will be made straight by God. How many of you, you want to travel on a straight path this year? Right? What do we need to do? You need to build a Christ-centered structure. You want the ball to keep spinning? It is not by changing another ball. It is not by changing another string. But the strength, the focus, and the force always got to be at the center. This year, let's change, everybody. Amen? This year, let's not just solve problems, but build structures in our lives. Let's close our eyes.